to segue to the whole cancer thing and me serving God all those years, being told you have cancer and it's almost stage four and we don't know if you're going to live five years or less. My statistics were less than 50%. Do you have a chance of living past five years? Those were my statistics. And so let's talk about that for a second. What made you go to the hospital? How did you know something was wrong? Well, what I was going to say is when we were in Zambia, we went home for a furlough. And as you know, that's just like a like a two or three week whirlwind where you're going from city to place to place to a conference and then back and filling your suitcases and all the <laughs> stuff that you do, you know? And uh, I felt these weird lumps um, around my neckline and under my left arm. And they were red and they were hot even. And so I was like, well, they must be glands. That's mm-hmm. weird. And I didn't have time to go to a doctor till I actually got to Gallup. And so I went to a doctor and he's like, and by then they had kind of dissipated. You could barely see that they were sticking out these glands. And he's like, I, don't, I, I really don't know. Well, after that whole episode, I felt a lump on my right side and it was kind of in between my ribs, but it felt like a little stone. And it was so weird because I had gone to some weird clinic up in Idaho when I became active enough to have birth control. I decided I didn't, again, want ever want children. So I went to this clinic and I remember them talking about how to do a, a breast exam and me feeling this thing that felt like a little stone. And because I was in Gallup, they checked it. The guy said, I don't think it's anything, but we need to keep an eye on it. So I said, well, what does that mean? And it was the technician that said, I was just like you. I had this little tiny thing and it didn't do anything, didn't do anything. And so they just kept doing the mammograms and the ultrasounds. And eventually I had breast cancer. And so I always had that in the back of my mind. So we go to and from Zambia a couple of times, come back finally, and we're settled there in Gallup, New Mexico again. And- I went through a really rough patch of just trying to figure out what I was supposed to be doing. You know how that is. It's like, where do I fit? What am I supposed to be doing? And I think that's why I always gravitate towards the kids. I'm like, that I can do. That I know I can do, right? If you need my help, let me know. And they always are like, yes, we need your help. (laughs) Come help. And so, but I just was just feeling really lost and unimportant. And my husband was right away an evangelist. So I never saw him. I never spoke to him all that much. I mean, we... And then our daughter had gotten into some trouble. By then, my son was grown. So he was living in his own house, getting ready to get married. And my daughter had had some trauma and I that we didn't know about. And so I was grappling with that, trying to work through it with her. You know, I just had a lot of really bad feelings just in general. It was already a really dark time. It was dark. It was very wow. dark. And you were in Zambia for how long? Almost five years. So so you and your husband and your were your kids with you in yeah. Zambia? So you, your husband, your two kids are in Zambia building a church for five years. You, so you come back to Gallup and your husband is an evangelist, which means he's preaching for other churches. Right. Out for two weeks. And for one. for one. Yeah. And your son is out living on his own, about to be married. And your daughter's how old at this time? About? Probably... 16. Okay. So she's 16 going through issues and you're in Gallup and you, you've been out pastoring your own churches, as you mentioned a little bit before. Exactly. But overseas, you probably go from being with your family, the four of you, 
all day, every day. Exactly. And now you're home in the States. Your son's not there. Your daughter's here as a teenager and your husband's gone three weeks out of the month, basically. Yes, basically. Exactly. And, and you're lost. You're like, what do I do? There's always a transition when you go from being a busy pastor's wife. Exactly. To going into a church and you're like, I don't have a role here and my husband's kind of doing the ministry thing, but what is... And you kind of, I'm sure, feel kind of lonely if you're you're dealing with these issues that you're saying with your daughter alone almost. There was a time in Zambia, I remember begging him to pay more attention to her because it was exactly what you were saying earlier about that period of time where you just need that male attention. And I think he was uncomfortable because she was becoming a young woman. And so I think he kind of pulled back a little bit from that. And I was telling him, you can't, this is the wrong time to do that. Mm-hmm. She needs physical attention and she needs like affection and just your attention. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing? Let me take you here. Let's go do that. And you know that firsthand from your experience. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I just, it was very frustrating for me. And so I just remember reading about and having this lump that mm-hmm. we're, that we're kind of watching. And my husband doesn't seem to be at all worried about it. And so I took that personally because, oh, and it's all because of these filters I created 100%. growing up. And, yeah. and you don't realize you can be saved 20 years, 30 years, and mm-hmm. still not process things well because sure. you've created this, right? How do I deal with this? How do I deal with this hardship? I just don't think about it. That's about the time that I start having more symptoms of the, these lumps that I'm finding. And- then your dad's like, hey, do you guys want to take over the church and flag stuff? And we're like, of course we do. Why not? Let's go. <laughs> so by then, my daughter has a child, a little baby, and we're having to leave her. And But it's not far. It's only like a two-hour drive, so it's not too, too terrible. And we get to flag stuff. And, and just over about a year's time, I'm just noticing that there's a couple of lumps and they're just changing and they're not – we don't have any health insurance. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like – I should get a job so I could have health insurance. All these things are going through my mind. But at the same time, I'm like, God, you're my healer. You're going to fix this. You're going to heal me. And I remember waking up every morning and like putting my hand under my left arm and going, oh, God, please. Like you have to intervene here. you got to help me. And so by this time, my daughter's moved over there. She's got her own place. She's got the baby. And I'm taking care of the baby because I want to. She's my grandkid, you know? And I'm just taking her everywhere with me. She's she's also legally blind. And so I wanted to have input into her from the time she was small. I wanted that. And so also grappling with this thing of, do I have cancer? Like, what's going on? So I start having these terrible pains up my left arm. Like, it's shooting into my hand. And I'm like, okay, well, that can't be good. So I start Googling. This is when finally we have computers and phones and Google. And it's everything saying, you probably have cancer. You need to go to the doctor. Wow. So I'm putting it off because I really am saying, God, I don't have the means to deal with this. Financial. Hmm. We had burned through our savings because John had a hard time getting a job there. It was the job market's terrible. Anyway, I... I'm in a restaurant one day having lunch with my daughter and my granddaughter and we leave and in the foyer is this this uh, cork board that has all these announcements on it and there's all these little flyers that say free women's health check and cancer treatment. And I was like, 
in my mind, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to go there. I, I, I can't have cancer. Like I don't have, I don't have the time. Number one, you know what I mean? I got, I got stuff I got to do. Yeah. I don't have the time for this. Exactly. And then I've got my little granddaughter and my daughter's going to school and working full time. So trying to help her find herself and get healing and all those things, it's all on me. It literally feels like it's all on me. And I remember it was right before Christmas and my granddaughter was about two, if I'm not mistaken. And she slammed her head into my underarm and it was just like this searing pain. And I was just like almost yelped in pain. And my daughter was like, what, what's that? What's going on? And at that moment, and this rarely happens to me, but this thing inside my heart said to me, you have cancer you need to go to the doctor and you're going to be okay. And I'd had that little flyer. So I made an appointment. And so I went, I went to the doctor and it was right. It was, I remember it was a January Bible conference. It was right after Christmas. And I told my husband, I have to keep this appointment. It takes months. It took me like five weeks to get in. So did you share with him? He knew this whole time that I had these lumps and that, and he would pray for me and I would pray for me. And we just, I think this whole time we're just trusting God and financially, like I said, not having the means to go get all the tests that need to be done. And it's almost like before, you know, for sure, it's almost like easier to be in denial. Yeah. yeah. Just be in denial. Oh yeah. And and because, and because everything had always turned out. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like it's always going to be okay because God always has my back. He always takes care of me. And, And of course he does. We also had a word from one of the pastors when when they were praying for us. And he said, God's really going to help you there. And you guys are really going to have a good time. And we did. It just exploded for a while there. It was a crazy. It was, it was incredible. And it was so cool to be a part of it. But he said, but there's going to be a really high cost. It's really going to cost you something. Whoa. Yeah. He said, I don't know what it is, but it isn't going to be easy. And I, of course, in the moment, you're like, okay, mm-hmm. whatever. Cool. Yeah, it's always hard. Well, it's always hard. Yeah. You've been pastoring for 20 years. It's like, of course, it's going to be hard. It's always hard. Mm-hmm. It's always great. It's always hard, right? I went to this clinic, and right away, the nurse practitioner said, I don't want to like alarm you, but I have a feeling this isn't going to come back good. And I just was like, what? I just wasn't prepared for that. Like you said, total denial. And so I said, okay, well, what do I do? And she said, well, I'm sending you straight to get a biopsy. So they do like an ultrasound first and then they do a biopsy. And so these biopsies are pretty involved. It's like a little machine that is a muncher and they have to actually make a scalpel incision and send that little muncher in there. And you're watching all your tissue go through these tubes into these things where they can send them off to be tested. And since I had more than one lump, they're like, so they wanted to test this little tiny one that hadn't been doing anything for a couple of years on my right side, but mainly they were focusing on this one on my left, which was about the size of a walnut in a shell. That's how big it had gotten. You wouldn't even imagine how quickly this went. So I have this appointment that I waited for for months that God says, you have cancer, you got to go and it's going to be okay. I'm dealing with my mom. I got to go get her from, she lives in Costa Rica. I got to pack her stuff and I get elected out of all the children to go do this for my mom during that same time frame. And I, my mom's pulling on me to stay longer. And I'm like, I've got Bible conference. I don't want to tell anybody what, what I've got to actually go do. 
because mm-hmm. I don't want anybody to worry, especially my parents. They're towards the end of their lives. They're in their 80s. And I'm like, and so I get back here and I go to this appointment and they do the biopsy and they said, we're going to put a rush on this. And again, they're like, this isn't going to turn out well. Just be prepared. Go home and talk to your family. So I just remember it was literally like a fog. I, the hardest part of that for me was like, God, seriously, everything that I went through to get to that place, to surrender to you. And I haven't always been perfect. God knows I've done stupid stuff since I've been a Christian. So the Lord knows me and he knows that I'm not always dealing with a full deck, but I know I'm imperfect, but really this and them, basically I was in such a a fog of disbelief that they're basically just pushing me from one appointment to another. They're calling on the phone, making my appointment for me saying, this is the address, go to it right now. So you're talking about a Tuesday that I that I go to a clinic, a Wednesday that I get a biopsy, a Thursday they call me and say it's positive. You have to go to the surgeon tomorrow, a Friday. I go to the surgeon the next day. They get all my blood work done. We're going to get you into surgery Monday morning. So you're talking about not even a calendar week has gone by by the time I'm under the knife getting a double mastectomy, basically. And Honestly, just a slap in the face. I was offended that God would allow this to happen to me. I was offended. I was in, I don't even know if offended's the right word. I think I was wounded. I was like, wow, God. So this is how much you actually care. So all those old feelings of mm-hmm. how, how God really did, did love me then to get to this place and all those old knee jerk coping mechanisms kick in and I become this hard shelled person of like, okay, well, this is, this is what I get dealing with all this stuff with my daughter. And I'm just like, wow, you know, am I going to die And having the surgeon look in my eye and say, you're just so young. Like, I'm so sorry that you're having to deal with this. And then he just kind of snaps out of it and goes, but you know what? 10 years ago, this would have been a death sentence, but not so much anymore. Like I said, one appointment to the next. I get a, a double mastectomy and I, I come out of that. And I don't know if you know, but they put like these drains to drain out all the liquid and it's disgusting and you have to live your life with that for a couple of weeks. And it's extremely painful. All the muscles, even in my back, like even just to walk was extremely painful. But there I was with a two-year-old grandchild. And all I really want is for my daughter to get on her feet and to be able to take care of this child. So I'm there and I'm thinking, she hasn't been potty trained. She's two and a half. So on my birthday, 2011, just come from a a mastectomy and I'm feeling like I've been run over by a truck. I'm in Target buying packages of underwear so my grandchild can be (laughs) potty trained. Yes, because that's that's what I got to deal with. So as soon as your your body is able to somewhat heal from this massively traumatic kind of surgery, they're scheduling you for chemotherapy as soon as you can get in there. And I don't want to do chemotherapy. I'm like, that stuff's poisonous. I don't want to do that. And all of them just spitting out this data from a computer with all my particulars pumped into it, less than a 50% chance of surviving even five years with all the treatment, with all the things they're suggesting that I do. And of course, surgery is just one thing. So they tell you that right away. Yeah, it was pretty quickly. And I remember the the nurse practitioner looking at the printout and going, oh, oh, like expecting a better number wow. and then going, oh, 
again, I didn't think that through. Maybe I shouldn't have done this right now because this is before my treatment. So part of me is like, well, but then what's the point? Yeah. So can you tell me what was the reaction of your family? Did you, were you totally forthright with them or did you, I mean, did you tell them the seriousness that they're saying five years, even if you get treatment? I don't remember telling them that particular thing. Cause I remember my response to that was I looked at it and I literally dropped it in the trash can. I was like, no, my days are numbered by God. And so if it's less than five, so be it. I get to go be with them. If it's more than five, that's cool too. I'm totally down for all of it. God's got me. By now I was just like, it does feel like a bit of a lamb to slaughter though. Cause they're just pumping as much of this toxic stuff into you as that you can withstand literally. Oh. And my family, my husband's working a full-time job. So he's like, do you want me to take time off? To, and we're pastoring a church. Do you want me to take time off to come sit with you? Well, infusion takes five hours. No, I don't want you to take five hours off that money that we need to get by. Jeez. I know. And, and I fall asleep because they give you so much of the anti whatever you want to call it. It's like Benadryl, basically. It's like massive amounts of Benadryl to counteract the response you're going to have to those drugs. They wear a hazmat suit to put that stuff in you. I don't know if you've ever seen it on TV or if you've heard anyone talk about it, but there's this, the first one they put someone with my cancer, it's bright red. It's, uh, I can't even remember the name of it, something myosin, but it's, it, it changes your DNA. Literally, it goes into your body and it literally just starts killing everything. And so right away, I start having such bad ear ringing that I can't hear the very first treatment. Of course, your hair falls out immediately, less than a week later. So you'd think for someone as, as vain as I am that that would have been hard. But I had already been through so much that I was like, oh, at least I don't have to fix it. So it wasn't to me. It was like the least <laughs> of my worries. And it was actually kind of cool because I just wore a hat all the time. It was in flag stuff. I uh, go through that. And my husband's working full time, coming home, have the little grandchild. And I remember my daughter saying, mom, I have to quit school. Like, I, I can't let you do this. And I just said, no, this kid is literally the only thing I feel like living for right now, that little baby. And I remember sitting on the couch one day watching her twirl and she was two. And I just burst into tears and my daughter was in there and she says, what, what, what? are you in pain? And I was just like, no, I'm not in pain. But what if I don't get to watch her grow? What if, what if, what if I don't get to watch that? And of course her response was always, mom, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. God told you you're going to be okay. Here's my kid who's not living for God. She's not even hardly going to church because she's working all the time just to pay her rent. And she's reminding me of that promise that something in me said, you're going to be okay. You're going to go through this, but you're going to be okay. And um, it was just intense treatment. I remember staring at my shoes every time I had to go to treatment. Okay, so it's every two weeks. And you, staring at my shoes, and it's like they're telling me, you got to put me on, and you got to get in the car, and you got to go to treatment. You got to go. And part of me going, but I don't want to, I don't want to go through that because what happens is your body starts to heal in that two week period. And then you got to go back. So literally because of the ringing in my ears, they cut my medicine in half. So that tells you how much overkill cancer treatment, like they take it so far over the top. I was getting enough to 
kill cancer and I'm convinced a 500 pound man, you know? After three months of that one where they're wearing hazmat suits and they can't even breathe and be around you while they're infusing it into your body, I then get switched over to a different treatment because that's what they do. And so anyway, after six months of this, I felt so lucky because I still had some eyebrows and some eyelashes. So I'm like, hallelujah. So I hit that second treatment, that second bout, it's three months uh, of treatment. And at the very, very end, all of a sudden, I don't have eyebrows, and I don't have eyelashes. And I'm like, okay, okay, this is the final. And at that point, I mean, they put the port in you, and then they go and they take it back out. And I just got scars all over me. So at that point, I'm just like, I don't even care. The fact that I'm among the living right now is kind of a miracle, because it was one more lymph node. I think I had 16 lymph nodes that were positive out of out of 20 that they removed, 16 of them were positive. Yeah, the fact that I was alive and breathing was just already a miracle. And and I did have this something in me that said, you're going to be okay. So my daughter sitting on the couch telling me, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Remember? Remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. I do remember. But there's just always that thing of what if? What if I don't get to watch my grandkids grow up? What if? I was reading, I don't know if you've ever read it, but it was C.S. Lewis at the time. It's a compilation of his best stuff, and it's in in the form of a daily devotional. And I remember realizing that C.S. Lewis, this deep well of understanding and spiritual, this beacon, Mm -hmm. lost his wife to cancer. And the struggles that he went through grappling with, how is this the will of God for me? Like, how and why would that be? In my head, as being this great spiritual leader kind of guy, having this deep understanding, was in this deep, dark place, just like me, you know, just in that place of, what is all this for, God? Like, what? You learn not to say why really quick, because it's like bashing your head against the wall. So you just kind of stop with the why, and then you go, well, how is this going to glorify God? And I remember going into the service, the very first service after I'd had my first surgery, and my husband saying, you don't have to come. Just rest. Stay at home. And I remember sitting there thinking, I should be in church. Like, I should be in church. Getting in my own car, driving to church, and everybody kind of going... I didn't have any makeup on or anything, and I'm sure I would look to a site, but I was like, I want to play the keyboard in there. My left arm hardly worked because they had dug around so much under my arm and there was so much nerve involvement. Anyway, I wanted to play the keyboard. And so I played the keyboard and I sang. And to this day, the pastor there, Pastor Manny Goats says, you will never know what that did for me, watching you go through that. And he's just watching my husband and I go through this. It was a nightmare. It was literally a nightmare. Everybody says how strong you are, and you're like, but I'm not. I'm surviving. I'm doing what I have to do to get through this. And I remember days of just going on outreach and everybody going, oh, don't take the stairs. We'll do the stairs. I'm like, no, I'm doing the stairs. I'm going to take the stairs. Just going up and down the stairs. Like I'm, And I told my husband, if this is the devil trying to squash me, have at it because I'm not backing down. I'm not going to change what I do. I'm not going to change who I am. Looking back now, I realized that God did a miracle work in, in this young man that aspired to be a pastor. And he just, till this day, he still says it in front of his whole congregation. He'll say, I just remember that. And I remember watching you guys and thinking, how are they doing that? How are they singing? How is she up there playing the piano and singing about the things of God when this is what she's going through? And And then I did a Bible study about Daniel right after that and thinking about how God can 
you have this horrible thing that's coming your way and God can either take you right through the middle of it or he can heal you and say, no, we'll take you around this one. The fire, you know, the literal fire, like the Hebrew children, or he can take you to heaven. And I realized he took me through that fire, straight through the middle of it. And my testimony now is that there's no smell of smoke, just like those Hebrew children. Like no one who looks at me says, oh, you look like a cancer patient, right? Or that you're that you've been through anything, and I think that's a, that is a powerful testimony of what God has done in me and through me, through all of it. Wow. And then I had a reoccurrence. I don't know if you know that, but that's why we ended up in Prescott. And so, if that's what it took to get me to Prescott, I feel like it was a cakewalk. Honestly, compared to the first time, it really wasn't that bad. So I had surgery when we went to South Africa, and. Uh, they, they got it all. They had a pathologist in the room and they, they said, I think we got it all, but we think you should have radiation. And then, you know, our headship, Pastor Greg, we'd been there about four years pastoring a church there in um, north of Durban. So you went back to South Africa. I went to South Africa. Yeah. Okay. That's how I ended up in Prescott, which it, it wasn't a big deal. I was like, gosh, if I can go through all that chemotherapy, I can certainly do radiation, do a little bit of treatment again. And that's only six weeks. And it's it's every day for like three minutes, five minutes. It's hard on your body and stuff, but compared to the first route. And again, having the assurance, God's with me in all this. So that was the time I was talking about when we very first started and we weren't recording was that time where I was in such turmoil about the treatment because my skin was so burned on my back that I literally had like an open wound that was probably the size of a, a melon, like a like a cantaloupe, that size of just raw burnt skin on the top left quadrant of my back. And again, my husband is evangelizing and I'm there by myself. All I have with me now is my dog. <laughs> My little dog and um and i talked to our pastor about i don't want to do this treatment i'm in such quandary like a such total turmoil in my spirit about it i don't i know that radiation causes cancer right that's been proven and so i really grappled with that and so i said you know, I, I know that it causes cancer and I know that the machines are pretty good now that they can kind of pinpoint and there, but it's also going to hit my heart and my lung. And, you know, I, I was just in total turmoil and he, he just said, you, you just have to decide for yourself. You've got to decide what's right for you and get a hold of God and find the mind of God. And I tried, but it was like, it was all being drowned out. Like I can't hear anything, Lord. So one night I was in such turmoil and I knew I had to get up in a couple hours to go to work. So I got up and I opened my Bible and I'd never, ever done that because I'd heard how screwy that was. Those people that just opened the Bible, their finger and go. But I did. That's what I did that night. I was like, God, you have to speak to me right now. I opened the Bible and it was right in the middle. It was a, a Psalm. I don't remember which one, but it said, I am your healer. I'm your healer. And I'd gone through about four and a half weeks of treatment and I was, I think I've had enough. And I know that God's my healer because I'm sitting here today right now, 10 years later, when they said I probably wouldn't last for five. So it was just like this little confirmation. I slept like a baby. The next day I went to the doctor's office and I just was like, you know what? I think I've had enough radiation. I don't think my skin can take anymore. It's literally like an open wound on my back. And, and he was mad. He was like angry with me. But I thought back to that time when I had had chemo and I knew that they gave you so much mm -hmm. over the top 
that I'm thinking four and a half weeks out of six is probably enough. And I've had enough. And God's my healer. At the end of the day, he's the one who's sustained my life this long. And he's going to have me around as long as he wants to have me around. So I just left there. I had peace in my heart like I hadn't had in months because I was in such turmoil. And of course, the ladies in the, in the Prescott Church bringing me food. And it was wonderful. Since then, I've had like three more surgeries, three different surgeries. And so literally, just like a, it's like I feel almost like a soldier, you know, like these are my scars and they're, it's okay because he truly has been my healer and he truly has literally taken me through the fire. And here I am. You guys don't hardly know any of my backstory till now. And there's no smell of smoke. I'm good. No smell of smoke. There's someone out there going through the same thing or similar of what you're going through as far as the cancer and the health and the just craziness of life. What's something that you would you would tell them? I think most people of faith have that crisis of faith. You get to that place where you go, you either believe the promises and you, then you are forced to then live the promises. That's the reality of Christianity. And so anybody that's going through that now, maybe they're just on the edge of it and having to take that step of being in all the treatment and in all the whirlwind of it all is just to surrender to that loving father, because it does feel like you're sort of abandoned for a minute there. Kind of like all that stuff I went through as a child, it all came flooding back to me. And I realized I really have to live what I say I believe now, like, because I, I, I know that I say God's with me. If God is for me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against me will prosper. You know all the promises. And that's when you have to actually step back and take a couple of deep breaths and cry a lot. And I remember I played Christian radio all the time. And I remember a song came on and I looking at those shoes, like I got to put those shoes on and I have to go. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was Lincoln Brewster and it was, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I won't worry about tomorrow. I'm trusting in what you say. And it's those days of the, you would never say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to go let them stick toxins in me and be sicker than a dog for two more weeks and then go back and do it again. But I'm trusting. I won't worry about tomorrow. I'm trusting in what you say. So all I could think to do was to fill myself up with all of his promises. And I'm telling you, I couldn't even pray. There was weeks there where I had, I I didn't know what to say to him. I'm like, what do I say? So that's when I began to just open the Bible to all the prayers of David just began to, and I always thought like, what a whiner, like, (laughs) seriously, look at all this stuff. He's like, everybody's against me. I got nothing. You know, all this stuff that he would say. And you're just like, wow. But that's the things I could say out loud. I could read God's word out loud. And they are just like prayers. Stand before me. You are my guard. You're my shield. You're my buckler. You're going to have to do this for me, God. And that, another thing I learned through all that is that I'm clearly not in control. I'm a control freak. And I think I can fix everything, fix everyone around me and blah, 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 blah. So that really put me in my place in the sense that I'm like, I'm not in control, God. You are. We know that God is a healer. And we know that sickness is in violation to God. And there's the feeling of rejection. Like, God, if you can heal me, then why aren't you healing me? Like, why don't you just heal me? Just snap your fingers and heal me. 
it's a really weird mind wrestle. It is. It absolutely is. And it's not ever a done deal, right? So you're one day you've got the victory and you're trusting in what he says. You're trusting in the promises. And there were those weeks I couldn't even say a prayer. All I could do is read out loud the word. And, and then there, there's a part of me that just was like, after all the stuff that we've been through and that we've done and we've gone all over the world, are you serious? Like why? And I, I just... I said, why anybody? It's not like a a bad person that does drugs or does anything else deserves to have cancer. It's this is awful. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't wish this on anybody that I terribly disliked. Mm-hmm. So why anyone? So I realized really early on that people were watching me. And I honestly think that throughout all these years of ministry, as soon as my son was born and he's now 35, we were, we've been in the ministry since he was born. We were assisting and then we got sent out. He was three months old. So that's how long, 35 years that we've been in. There is that little bit of you that goes, what am I doing this for? Like, if this is what I get, then why am I even stinking bothering with all this? There's that little voice in the mm-hmm. back of, of who you are that says those things. But then there's a much bigger part that says, that, like, like the disciples, where do we go, Lord? We have nobody else. Like, we don't have anywhere else to go for the words of eternal life. Like, we don't have, where are we going to go? And that's me. I'm like, okay, yes, I, I'm upset with you, God. And I can't even pray right now, but I can read your word and I can listen to the music that lifts me up and know that whatever happens, it's in your hands. And better people than me have gone before me with terrible diseases and sicknesses and they weren't healed and worse people than me have been healed and and set free from their diseases so uh, you can't ask why you just get yeah. yeah if you're wanting to retain your sanity and your composure you can't ask yeah why. and if this is something i have to go through i'm going to do my best to glorify your name and i preached to every person in, in treatment i could get my get their ears to hear me i'm like hey everybody everybody and many of those people died so one time I remember talking to one woman and just, and her just looking, I could tell she just looking at her, she looked like she was dying and later found out she had died, but that I got to sit and pray with her and talk to her and, and just tell her, you know, no matter what, if you know God, you'll spend eternity with them. So either way you really will be okay. And her just crying and being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Being that person, that voice of hope in right. such darkness Another time I remember going into an office and I I think I must have just been there for like a follow-up and I was in remission and I was okay at that point. And I was sitting there and I watched a young, young girl come out and I saw a look on her face and I was like, it was like the deep call to the deep. I knew exactly what was happening with that little girl. And her boyfriend or her, I think it must've been a boyfriend, but he was sitting in a chair and he looked up at her. I looked at her and she looked at me and I, it was just like, I jumped up literally out of my chair and I almost ran over to her and I just grabbed her and I said, I know exactly how you feel right now. And I said, I will tell you from having gone through the, all that, all the fire that God is going to get you through this and he will be your strength if you'll let him. If you'll, if you'll submit all of this and lay it down for him. And by then the boyfriend's crying and she's weeping. And I'm literally just holding this stranger in my arms 
And I just, so I look at those times and I think, God, if you took me through all this for stuff like that, I'm 100% okay with that because I'm, I'm fine. I think that's just the, the bottom line is that there are times of your crisis of faith where you can, you can walk away and wash your hands of all the mm-hmm. things that you've ever said you believed to say, well, clearly God doesn't care. Yeah. Or does God care so much about me as his vessel, as that broken pottery that he's going to rebuild it with, with 24 karat gold and make it so much more valuable than it ever could have been on its own. And so that's for me is like, I, I was forced to say, do I believe the yeah. things that I say I believe? Yeah. And I, I will say, and I have said, and it, it's unfortunate that it is this way as human, imperfect human beings, but that we got to be at that scraping rock bottom to look up and be like, I got nothing. Lord, you're all mm-hmm. I have. And the only place to look is up. That old thing, like when you're laying in a hospital bed, that's yeah. where you're looking and you're looking up. When you do get everything torn out from under you, it's like, what are you going to do now? What I see is just a trend in people's walk with God is the devil will handcraft something that makes you strongly question the character of God. God, if you can make this go away, why aren't you? And I know you can. Yeah. I I had a heart condition that that he healed and that's documented, 100% medically documented that this condition in my heart was gone. And I was a new convert. I had been saved, maybe not brand new convert, maybe two years. Firsthand knowing that something very dire, very serious, God had healed me of that. So I went through my whole life thinking, I dodged a bullet there, you know? So when this came down the pike, I was like, no way. Like, that can't can't be what's going on with me. No way. But it is. It's a crisis of faith. And I think everybody has a level of that. But he allowed me to walk through that and go through that. And I just decided from the get-go, I will give God the glory. And even if he takes me from this earth, I get to go be with him. I get to, you know, I don't want to leave behind my grandchild and my kids, but I mean, that's not the worst thing, obviously, right? That's right. what we attain to. Like, we want to go wow. spend eternity with Puts them. everything in perspective. It really does. Sure. It really, and it really also makes you value your relationships with people. Like, hmm. so it makes you really realize maybe we don't have tomorrow. Maybe I should be paying attention to that person or undergirding them somehow. It really snaps everything into perspective, honestly. My kids aren't on the street doing drugs. Thank you, Jesus. Every day of my life, I thank God that, you know, they're not maybe in the place that I think they should be. But man, I am so thankful and that my husband's health is okay and that that we're all still here. We're all still able to say, I love you every night before we go to bed. And I don't take any of those things for granted. It was just, it's just been incredible. The things that God has brought us through, just incredible. You're still here today among the living. as Still a decade, a lot longer than they said I was going to be around. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I, that was part of my testimony as a kid, as a teenager, Mm -hmm. all I knew to do was to get high and to get drunk and, and do all the things that I saw going on around me as a child. And knowing that that's how we cope, that's what we do to then go into recovery and to, to guide young women and older women to a place of saying, you know what? Pain is part of life. And I can firsthand tell you, I've been through a lot of pain, physical, mental, emotional. And I can truly tell you that it's better to feel the feelings and be free 
than it is to do anything else. So it's definitely made me, and, and, and going through cancer takes you to a very deep level of compassion, realizing there are suffering people at every level all around me. And I don't even, I didn't even know it till now did some things in me that I don't think would have happened otherwise. And that's what I was saying about the whole human nature thing. Like it's too bad. Those bad kinds of things have to take us to that deeper intimacy that we maybe never would have found with God and that deep compassion towards broken people. Yes. Just going, you know what? We're all pretty busted up and Mm -hmm. I'm, it's, I'm not to judge. I'm here to help you find your healing. And working in recovery helped me so much that way too. Just working with people saying God is in the business of fixing broken people. Thanks for coming on, Molly. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. And now it's documented.